This is John Halsman, and welcome to our last broadcast for the year of Around the World in 20 Minutes, our flagship of John's newsletter, where we give you the inside scoop on the beguiling new planet that we live in. And I love this one because we look back at our 2022 call record and then ahead to our 2023 call record. And as I've said, I am revolutionary in the sense that I don't care what your title is. I don't care where you come from. Frankly, I don't care what your politics are. I care that you're right. And in our very kind of fake world that we live in, this shallow kind of surfaceness of it, um, I think this makes me a revolutionary uh, because I do care an awful lot about people who are good and people who are right and all the rest I can learn to live with. And that makes us different, I think, and in a very fun and good way. Secondly, I think that we've had a good run because uh, we look at history. We look at the things that we, that we study as dots uh, in our pointillist painting, but history allows us to take a step back and see that it's a Surat painting of a woman, to see what the painting actually looks like. And again, I think we've done very well recently because we've seen that what's really going on at a, a larger macro level for our clients and for our community is one era is morphing into another. The age of globalization, which roughly ran from 1990 to 2020, 30 years where there were certain things you could count on, the United States being the sole superpower, being first and foremost among them in terms of power projection, that we had just-in-time manufacturing, that political risk didn't matter as much, and that people wrongly believed that we had banished history from the face of the planet in, in, in the face of the power of economic rationality. That era now has given way since 2020, say, since the coming of COVID, to an age of anxiety where none of that makes sense anymore, where we very much live in an era of great power competition. Um, and within this competition, you can see the U.S. and China as pure competitor superpowers. But even beneath this bipolar-seeming world, there are a bunch of great powers that have an awful lot of room to run with a football, an awful lot of room for maneuver. They can go their own way or they can side with one of the two superpowers. And these would include the EU, the UK, Anglosphere, Japan, India, and Russia. And even beneath them, there are emerging powers, uh, the more populous states of the world, places like Indonesia and uh, Argentina and South Africa and Brazil and Mexico uh, and India, I suppose, above all here. Um, these emerging powers, these emerging regional powers, and you see it in Saudi Arabia as well, in the Gulf, Tur uh, Turkey as well, these powers have room to maneuver to in a way they didn't in the old Cold War era. And so you have an awful lot of moving pieces. It's a much more complicated world, but frankly, it's also a much more interesting world. And if you can see this broadly, that this one era of American domination as the sole superpower has given way to a surface bipolarity, any multipolarity lurking just beneath that at the great and regional power level, I think that then you begin to see a very different world. And if you see that, you can start getting things right. So we have the advantage of history, of seeing these things as part of a broader picture, and then we begin to see what that broader picture is. And lastly, before we go ahead with our 2023 calls, I think it's important that we say that, and yes, I know we live in a Christian society that everything is in threes, tens, forties, and hundreds because of our biblical references, but the idea that most of my competitors do ten vague points of prediction that can neither be proven right or wrong that global warming is real, 
is you know a point that they've made well that doesn't tell me anything it's how important is it versus all the other things out there so rather than doing 10 uh, we revert to the lower biblical number every year we offer you three and only three points and we go into them in great detail and that way you can actually judge whether we are right or wrong at 10 with the vagueness they can say they're right but like an octopus, on the one hand, on the other hand, on the other hand, on the other hand, they're not telling you anything. They're not being specific. And the reason they're not is that they might be wrong. And if they're wrong, people will realize they're not very good at this. And we, we are delighted at our over 80% call record. If you look back 10 years with these three calls, that's 30 calls, we have an over 80% correct call record, meaning that, yes, it's an art and not a science, but we're the Los Angeles Dodgers in this scenario. We're going to make the playoffs every year and hopefully win some more World Series than they do, more like the Houston Astros without the cheating. So there you go. Um, but before we get on with our three calls for the coming year, I want to look back, the thing that no one ever does, being held accountable for what they said in the past. And in a Republican government, you should hold all of us accountable, particularly in the capitalistic sector, which ought to be meritocratic. And I'm delighted to say many of our competitors have the monkey score. If a monkey jumped either side of a line, he'd be right 50% of the time, meaning they're not adding any value. At our 80%, we're adding immense value. But you want that 80 to be 90. You always want to get better. You can learn from being right and you can learn from being wrong. But that's only if you look back at your predictions in the first place in order to do so. So let's look back at what we said in 2022. And for those of you who want to check this, if you look at what we wrote for City AM in January of last year and Arab News as well, we wrote another version in January 2022, you'll see that these are the three predictions that we made. Number one, we said that COVID would cease, would come to an end in the sense that it would no longer be a world historical crisis at the center of what we in the West worried about. And that's happened. That's absolutely happened. It's still around, as we wrote about, but it would no longer be the central defining political risk of our time, as it had been the past couple years. And that globally, and here with the exception of China, certainly, it has ceased to matter as much as it did before. It would no longer be our chief preoccupation, and it would cease being a world historical crisis as the new era that it helped birth came more clearly into view. The second thing we said was that the Sino-American Cold War, which absolutely no one was talking about in January of last year, would begin to be seen as the pivotal event of our time. And this is just simple. The region of the world that's growing the most, the Indo-Pacific, which has most of the present economic growth of the world and most of the future economic growth of the world, also has most of the global political risk. This is primarily because of the Sino-American Cold War, which is now in full bloom, as we said would happen. But also there are other great powers out there. There's Australia, which is a representative of, of the UK Anglosphere. Um, and you can see that by the AUKUS defense deal done by the US, UK, and Australia. And then you have great powers, Japan and India, also out there. There's an awful lot of elephants out there to trample the grass, to quote Kipling. And as a result of this, there, this is going to be the region of the world with the most upside, the most economic opportunity, and the most downside, the most political risk. And as we've seen over this last year, that risk centers around Taiwan, which is as merged, merged as the new Berlin of the new Cold War. This is the pivotal area. This is the canary in the coal mine. As long as the West and the United States have a democratic ally in Taiwan, 
The computer chips, and again, advanced computer chips, 90% now come from Taiwan, but also equally importantly, it's key to dominating the first island chain. The first island chain off the coast of China, where the U.S. and its allies can pinch off Chinese economic growth anytime they want by refusing them access to the blue waters of the Pacific or the Indian Ocean. And as long as Taiwan remains in the allied Western American camp, um, the world will remain as it is, a status quo world. But China wants to uproot this, and to do so, it's all about Taiwan. Well, we called that in January last year, and certainly that's come to pass as well. And then our third prediction was that, and at the time, again, I love being right now, and when you look back, everyone says, well, of course. But if you look at the time, many people, about half said that COVID was going on, the fanatics who wanted to keep us chained to government subsidies as we sit watching box sets, telling us that vaccines worked in a way they didn't, and cur curtailing our civil liberties. Um, they, they're desperate to hang on to COVID, but they couldn't. That's changed. The Sino-American Cold War as the pivotal uh, strategic competition in the world around Taiwan, that's emerged. And then lastly, at the time, and now this seems obvious, but at the time it certainly was not. In fact, we were in a decided minority along with Larry Summers, and that's about it. Um, you see that we said the beast of endemic inflation has been loosed. Frankenstein's monster is loosed and that inflation wasn't, as the Biden people were saying desperately, a little local difficulty that we had to get over, but that indeed the central banks, the Fed, the Bank of England, uh, the Bank of Japan, the ECB, and then the smaller banks had lost the plot and it let inflation go. And beyond the central banks getting it wrong, there was an awful lot of fiscal shenanigans, particularly in the United States, as the Biden administration poured gasoline onto an open fire. And as we bounced back far more quickly from the end of COVID to the first prediction that COVID came to an end, and as the economy and capitalism is a very dynamic system for all its faults, certainly dynamism isn't one of them, as we bounced back very quickly from what happened then, you can see that they over-egged things. And they should have known this, certainly by March of this year, which was the last trillion-dollar infusion, as the Biden people spend money like a drunken sailor to keep their progressive left-wing base happy. And all they've done is pour gasoline onto this open fire at exactly the moments the central banks had lost the plot. And so we saw this rise of endemic inflation when very few people did. Larry Summers may have beaten us to the punch, but we were a very close second along with people like Nouriel Roubini. We were a very close second there. So we're delighted with that prediction. So we were three for three last year. That was a great year. Um, you also know that we called the Ukraine war starting. Uh, we said this in November of 2022, that it would happen in late February. Another fantastic call, well done staff, that we called the war within a couple days. And again, a vast minority thought this would happen, something around 10 to 15% of analysts thought that Ukraine would actually lead to a war. Not only were we in that 10%, but we called it within a couple days. So it has been a monumentally great year. And I just want to thank all the people I work with. When I say we, when I speak, people say I'm being arrogant. Why do you use the royal we? And as my chief of staff, John Goodnight, can tell you, it's because, of course, I don't do this alone. I have immense help from a talented staff who keep me on my toes, make me laugh, make me think. And I want to thank you for having really a perfect year. We got the three for three. And if you add in Ukraine as our bonus question, we were four for four. So that is wonderful. 
And so far, so good, but you're only as good as your last set of predictions. That's why we like to keep a rolling 10-year count so that you get a sense of the trajectory of the firm. Again, best in the business, over 80%, but you're only as good as your last calls. So here are our three new calls coming for 2023 that you can take to the bank. First of all, the Ukraine war will not come to an end. No one's going to win the Ukraine war this year. And that's for a couple reasons. The basic point is that now we've reached, in, in essence, a stasis. The Russians control about 20% of Ukrainian territory, but they certainly can't land the knockout blow, as we've seen. On the other hand, the Ukrainians, who have better and better NATO weaponry, very high morale, uh, are getting better at using it. Of course, up to now, they've used only Soviet weaponry, so it takes a while to get better at these things. And... They are doing that. On the other hand, they've now got to push people out of territory, as they say they wish to, or they've dug in with World War I-style trenches. The two outside factors that are going to influence Ukraine as the spring fighting comes on, we're into winter, so things have slowed down. But come the spring, they're going to be two key determinants of how the war goes. How long is the United States prepared to write blank checks for Ukraine, the Europeans have been as ever disappointing. The United States has spent more money helping the Ukrainians than all the Europeans put together. So we're really talking about the Americans. The Europeans only matter in that they may lose heart entirely in the core of France, Germany, and Italy, and actually start demanding peace talks if the recession or their energy crisis gets worse come the autumn of next year. They're going to easily make it through the winter. It's always been next winter where the energy crisis comes to a crunch. So that's the only thing. Is it, Are they even less useful than now? But how long is the United States prepared to spend $60 billion a pop given its own endemic problems? And so that's one driver. And the second driver is war fatigue. Putin is in within Russia. Putin has been forced to call up a draft. He had wanted this just to be a special military operation. In other words, this is just a little local difficulty. Don't worry about it. Has been Putin's approach to the Russian people. That hasn't worked. And so he's been forced to call up 300,000 reservists, which in reality is more like 180,000. They won't all make it to the front. And they're broadly cannon fodder. But as we've said, as Stalin pointed out, at a certain point in the Russian military strategy, quantity becomes quality. 180,000 people is an awful lot of people. And come the spring, they can throw this at the Ukrainians, even if they're better armed, better equipped, and know how to use this NATO equipment, particularly American, but also European equipment, better. So... Does war fatigue hit in as Putin keeps talking about how simple this war is going to be? And he now owns the war. That's the problem with an autocracy. You own whatever goes wrong. And so how long the Russian people are prepared to put up with this being a pariah, having their economy, which was, you know, the size of the state of Texas before all this now grinding to a halt, it loses about 3% of GDP this year. How long they're prepared to put up with this? is one factor, how long the Americans are prepared to write checks is another. But my guess is that for the next year that this goes on and on, that the Americans are prepared to write checks, even with Republican pressure, they will at a, at a lesser amount. Again, I think that's a terrible idea, but I'm an analyst, not a cheerleader, and I think those checks will continue, maybe not at the 60 billion range, but somewhere in the 30 billion range, enough that Ukraine can continue along and defend itself. On the same way, the long-suffering Russians will continue to be long-suffering. Not happy, but there will not be a break on either side. The two outside externalities will not change. And so look for the war to go on much longer than people are saying right now. The Ukraine war will not end in 2023. That is our first prediction. 
The second prediction is that the Sino-American Cold War will continue, but at a subterranean level. That there won't be a lot of talk about it because Ukraine, the, the, the drama of a war, the drama of a cost of living crisis will subsume this. It will not seem to be going on, but rest assured, it continues. The Japanese have just announced that they're going to double defense spending with an immense economy over the next five years. This is a, this is a sea change in Japan. This is Abe fulfilling his dream. Uh, as you know, I think the world of Shinzo Abe as a strategist, the late prime minister of Japan, fulfilling his dream through the work of his uh, protege, Fumio Kishida, who he placed in power. Abe's faction is the largest in the LDP. And although Kishida had been a dove, he now talks like a hawk because he's only in power because of Abe's faction behind him in the LDP. And Kishida has come good on this pledge and in a hawkish way has doubled defense spending. You see border ructions occurring at a low level with India. This will keep India within the region part of the anti-Chinese coalition that's forming around the quadrilateral initiative along with Australia and the United States. So watch for these allies to do more and more and more together as China has to deal with its idiotic uh, zero COVID policy, it has to deal with, with Xi betting in now for his third term. Somewhere in the neighborhood of a million to two million Chinese are likely to die this year. So this will not be the year, I repeat, not be the year that the, 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 the Chinese make a lunge at Taiwan. But remember, as the American military said, that this, that this date is coming and that somewhere between 2024 and 2027, the Chinese either have to use their military or lose this advantage as the Quad gets its act together. As the Americans can now resupply from places like Darwin in Australia and Okinawa in Japan, as well as from Guam. And so as this quadrilateral initiative begins to coalesce, as more and more allies side against China, China will be looking internally this year, and so this will be the dog that does not bark in the night, but it does bear watching. This issue will seem subsumed, but the Cold War and the competition will be absolutely ongoing, and although the Chinese will not attack Taiwan in the coming year, 2023, this then leads us to the period of maximum danger, which is 2024 to 2027, when the Chinese either have to make their move or they'll be unable to make their move. So the dog will not bark in the night this year, but the dog is coming. And this leads me to the last point. There will be a recession this year. We're saying that the, last year we said the beast of inflation has been loosed, and that's true. The next point is that can the central bank somehow manage, having lost track of the plot, reassert control of interest rates by raising them quickly enough, high enough, fast enough, causing pain in the short run in order to control the beast of inflation. And a lot of people now say no, that they'll hesitate, that people will start complaining. They're used to, with their more fixed or, or their adjustable mortgages in America, they're used to zero interest rates. And so that if interest rates go up drastically, this will lead to a howl of derision from the American middle class. This will put pressure through the, on the Fed, indirectly through political people in the Biden administration. And this will lead ultimately to 
them not going along with what is what Paul Volcker would suggest and what I would suggest, which is you raise them drastically. You regain your status as an inflation hawk. There's a lot of short-term pain, and then you deal with it, and then you can lower interest rates. The more short-term pain, the more you rip the Band-Aid, the better it is because then you don't have to dither around with interest rates where you can undershoot and then have to raise them again. Well, I think that the Fed actually will follow this policy. I have more faith in the Fed than most at the moment. I listened to Paul's last speech, and he seemed fairly forthright about this. And I think the Fed, which is insulated from politics, doesn't care that much what goes on. Certainly Powell doesn't. The deputy head of the Fed, Lyle Brainerd, she was put in place to look after Biden's interests. But I think they are committed, above all else, as they've said, to dealing with dealing with inflation. And to do that in the best possible way, you're going to have a recession. However, here I part company with Rubini and others. This will not be a recession that leads to a depression. Uh, the problem with Mr. Rubini is he thinks the world comes to an end. And like a stop clock, he's right twice a day. That every once in a while, something really does go off the rails. But we don't look at all the times. It doesn't. And this is an important point of political risk. Most of the time, we don't face Armageddon. And we're not going to face Armageddon this time. This will be a relatively long but relatively shallow recession over the next couple of years. And then things will bounce back. The good news out of this, the upside out of this, is that the Fed then can regain control and have the credibility as inflation fighters. And then inflation will begin to go down. So there's good news there. So what do we have? And I'm going to give you your upset special as always, which we'll spend the rest of your talking about. I will not delineate in this talk, but I will delineate in the next. So our three calls are one, the Ukraine war will not end in 2023, that this thing has a long way to go. And this is contrary to literally everybody's expectations, but the war will continue throughout all of 2023. Second, the Sino-American Cold War is alive, but you won't read it in the newspaper. And although the Chinese are not going to lunge for Taiwan in the coming year, they've got to worry about their own internal problems. And although the Quad will continue to coalesce, this leads us to our period of maximum danger, which is between 2024 and 2027. If we can get by that, then the Indo-Pacific is a buy, is a huge upside. But we are entering the period of maximum danger, but it won't be this year, even as the Cold War goes along. And so that's the next one. Thirdly, we will enter a shallow but fairly lengthy recession at some point in 2023, but the Fed will regain its credibility and inflation will indeed be tamed. They are more serious about taming it than the pundits think. So there are three predictions you can absolutely tank, take to the bank. I can only hope we do as well as last time when we said COVID would come to an end. The Sino-American Cold War is the pivotal feature of our new era, and the beast of inflation is loosed. I hope we do as well. The Ukraine war doesn't end. The Sino-American Cold War remains fundamental, if subterranean, and we are entering a period of a long but fairly shallow recession. With the upside, the central banks look like they will gain control of fighting inflation in a meaningful way. So after the short term, in the medium run, there's a lot of economic upside. So there you have it. Those are our three 2023 calls. The upset special, number four, number four last time, which made us four for four last year. Last time was the Ukraine war, calling it literally within a couple days that it would happen. We were in the top 10% that we got it within a couple days. We were the only ones. This time we make the fundamental call. Donald Trump will not, will not be the Republican nominee for president in 2024. And that changes everything. Donald Trump will not 
be the nominee for president for the Republican Party in 2024. Trump will not be the nominee in 2024, which makes the Republicans paradoxically, because Biden will be the Democratic nominee paradoxically, that makes the Republicans the odds-on favorite to recapture the White House in 2024. I thought I'd leave you dangling with that one, and we'll go into greater detail about that come the new year. And on that point, have a wonderful and very happy new year. And I hope it brings you everything uh, that certainly this last year has brought me. And I just want to thank you for being part of our community. What great fun it is to think aloud with you. And may we continue on together. Happy, happy 2023.